0: Melvin Tucker was a prisoner of war during World War II. His B-17 bomber was shot down while fighting the Nazis, and he spent 13 months captured in Austria. In a self-published autobiography, Tucker says his captors gave him soup with a couple of peas in it. One day, he opened up the pea pod in his bowl only to find a bug, or fresh meat as he called it at the time. After that, he stopped checking before he ate. Tucker survived and returned home, and one of his daughters, Diane McHatton, says her dad was really healthy, lifting weights and even riding the motorcycle he bought when he was 88.
1: He always told me, and i must say he was going to live to be over 100, because he at least wanted the president to say, happy birthday, you know, and he was and determined to do it.
0: McHatton says she was shocked when her father died abruptly at age 94 of Legionnaire's disease at the Illinois Veterans Home in downstate Quincy. Before Tucker was ever tested for Legionnaires, he asked to see a priest. The very next day, he was unresponsive. The hardest thing that we had to endure.
1: When we seen him in the hospital yeah. for three days gasping for breath. That's the hardest thing that he'd you see your daddy yeah. after all he's gone through.
0: <laughs> Tucker's daughters still lose sleep over it.
1: I feel so guilty. Yeah. We should have got him out of there. Yeah. I didn't realize.
0: We should have took him out. Yeah. We didn't know. And in that blame, there are flashes of anger toward the veterans' home and the government officials who run it. Records show the veterans' home treated Tucker with Tylenol when he should have been given antibiotics. He actually was one of 12 residents at the Quincy home that died as part of a 2015 outbreak of Legionnaires disease. 53 residents and staff were sickened at the time. After that, the state spent millions to make upgrades to the water system at the home. But in 2016, Legionnaires broke out again and five people got sick. In 2017, six more. And this year, there have been four more cases. The deaths and illnesses are just part of this story. An ongoing WBEZ investigation has been looking closer into the state's response to the deadly outbreak. And it's not good. This is on background, the WBEZ Politics podcast. I'm Becky VV. We're here to bring you the backstory on the big story in politics. In this episode, we dive into what happened after the Legionnaires' outbreak in Quincy and how it's dogged Governor Bruce Rauner's reelection bid. The investigation reached new heights this week when the Attorney General opened a criminal investigation into the matter. But Rounert's opponent, Democrat J.B. Pritzker, is under scrutiny, too. The Cook County inspector general is accusing him of fraud when it came to his property taxes. Joining me to break it all down is state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Hi, Dave. Hey, Becky. This week, the two top candidates sparred again at an ABC7 League of Women Voters debate. And Quincy and your reporting, Dave, came up at this debate.
1: Governor, on a recently released email show that your office delayed in the reporting of the Legionnaires' deaths at the Quincy Veterans Home in 2015. Now Lisa Madigan, the attorney general, has launched a criminal investigation. Was there a deliberate attempt by your administration to hide what was happening at Quincy? Absolutely not. Our team did what everything.
0: What exactly is he talking about here, Dave?
2: Well, I mean this. This really is kind of rooted in the story that my colleague Tony Arnold and I uh, put together here this week. That 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 looked at the 2015 outbreak of Legionnaires at the Quincy Veteran Home, and then the, the following outbreaks that occurred in 2016, 2017, and the cases this year. And and what we were able to document through emails from the state was a really a pattern where the state the Rauner administration was either slow walking or soft peddling bad news about legionnaires and and you know the reason that's important is because you know these families many of them who lost loved ones have complained and are suing over the fact that they didn't feel like they had been given adequate information about what was going on at the home the home knew that they had an epidemic on its hands in 2015 but they chose for 6 days not to tell anybody about it
0: so when the first outbreak happened, you're saying they waited six whole days before telling the public.
2: That's right. And the, the, the rationale that the home and the state public health department have used is they, they wanted to get their facts straight. They wanted to ensure that there was no panic among you know, the population or the people who lived there. But on the flip side are these families. And, you know, they have loved ones who one day seem fine, as, as you mentioned in the open here with Mr. Tucker. And then the next day they're gone.
0: During that six-day delay, did Governor Rauner know?
2: Well, up until now, that was a, a kind of an open-ended question. I mean, we know that his, you know, there were top aides that over the span of this whole crisis have been involved in this. But really, the, the six-day period of time we've been talking about really seemed to be kind of something directed by the state public health department and the state department of veteran affairs, which, you know, oversees the home. What Tony and my reporting showed through emails from the state was a particular email that that uh, occurred within that 6-day period that came from the deputy press secretary of governor rauner. That's important because that's the first time that this 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 critical delay that we've been talking about is attributable in part to the governor's office itself.
0: Okay. So 6 days go by, on that 7th day they they announce that they are having this outbreak. What happens next?
2: Well, I mean, you see this kind of play out in two thousand and fifteen into the month of September, so you go from kind of mid August of two thousand and fifteen into mid September and you have you know people just dropping like flies at that facility, residents getting sick, staff people getting sick and and a lot of trips to the hospital and as you pointed out, I mean a dozen people died, they were all elderly residents, there was one military spouse terrible case in her situation where her body was found in a room and, and uh, it appears she had been dead for a couple of days before she was discovered. So there was a lot of problems going on. It was just absolute chaos at that facility.
0: Was there media coverage down in Quincy at the time? I don't remember hearing much about it up here in Chicago.
2: Yeah, I mean, there was, there was attention clearly on the ground in Quincy uh, in West Central Illinois when this was going on. But it was all really kind of dependent on what the state was putting out at at that time. And, you know, they they really started – and Quincy started reporting on this – uh, on that seventh day, as you point out, that's when the state began making public information on this thing available. But at the very outset, on uh, I believe the date was August 21st of, of 2015, mm-hmm. they had two confirmed cases of Legionnaires at that facility. And that was enough to trigger a call to the Centers for Disease Control and for the facility to undertake a whole array of of preventative measures. And so while all this was going on, these families were in the dark for six days not knowing what exactly was going on around
0: them. Wow! So, a couple of years go by, you guys picked this up to report on it. How were you able to piece together what happened? In those sort of six days, in the seventh, eighth, ninth day, how were you able to piece all of that information together?
2: Well, I mean, this is a project that Tony and I started out on in probably October or November of 2017.
0: Oh, like a year ago. A
2: year ago. Yeah. This was a, a long, uh, arduous process where it started out simply with us sending in a Freedom of Information Act request to the governor's office and, and the state public health department asking for emails that related to this period in 2015, 2016. And... You know early 17 and the reason that that it was interesting to us at that point was because the state had spent millions of dollars to try to correct the the home's water system where legionella the bacteria that causes legionnaires lurks and you know you got to bear in mind that this home is more than 100 years old there were veterans from the civil war who were housed here oh, wow. back in the late 1800s so a lot of the piping that is at this facility is original If you could just do a cross-section of it, you would see probably a lot of it just gunked up with, you know, lots of nasty stuff that drinking water is going through. And so when these folks would uh, take showers, when they would sit in whirlpools, you know, they'd be breathing in the the vapors. That's how Legionnaires develops in people. They breathe it in.
0: So you were able to obtain basically emails and documents from the governor's office and from other sources?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it was a very long ordeal for us because we, uh, we started out with this and we got a few emails sent to us late in the year last year. Uh, and and one of them in particular revealed that there had been this six day delay, and that that in and of itself was news to people because you know I think everybody just assumed that that as soon as they knew something there they were telling people that email showed us that wasn't the case. But as it went on, the state and the rounder administration became you know very prickly to deal with when when we were trying to to get more information from them and, and more emails. They they rejected document requests that we made multiple times. They told us to narrow the search down because they said our request was too cumbersome and, and burdensome for them. And Becky, while we were fighting with the Rauner administration to try to get access to these documents, Tony and I drove to Quincy and we spoke with many of these families who lost loved ones in 2015. And what we heard over and over was a, a story where these families had loved ones who were in relatively decent health one day, and then the next day they were they were laboring to breathe and non-responsive. And you know, as people like Diane McHatton at the at the opening of the show pointed out, a lot of these people didn't know what was happening when their fathers were getting sick. They didn't know, but the state had a clue. And that's what has really kind of gnawed away at these people over time. It's like had they known that that there was this waterborne illness lurking in the facility, they might have been able to take steps to remove their elderly parents out of it until the state could figure out what was going
0: on. Right, of course. Now, eventually you do get the documents you were requesting.
2: We finally got to the point in May, which would, you know, that would be 6 months after we started kind of you know, looking into this before they finally agreed that they would provide us what has turned out to be almost 50,000 documents that Tony and I have been going through, you know, email by wow. email looking at things. And and really, that body of of documents is what we used to produce this most recent story that showed the pattern of, of the state being slow and incomplete in the way that they release public information about these various outbreaks.
0: And as we mentioned, after this story, the Attorney General came out and announced that they are investigating this issue. What exactly are they investigating?
2: Well, I mean, it's it's a very uh, good question. Uh, we, we only know that they are looking into broadly some of the notification issues that have been raised here. This is a case that they've informed the Adams County State's Attorney in West Central Illinois, that's the county where Quincy is at, where the home is based, that they want to take some sort of case and present it to a criminal grand jury in Quincy. And this, this is a significant step because it would suggest that there may be government officials that are, that are going to be targeted here. Uh, we don't know for a fact who or, or how many or what kinds of, of crimes might be alleged here. But the state attorney general's office, Lisa Madigan's office, is planning, they say, to present a case to a grand jury there.
0: Of course, this is something challenger Democrat J.B. Pritzker is now using against Governor Rauner. Uh, It's come up in the most recent debate. I'm curious if you could explain some of the politics here. Some people are making accusations that this is... Timed in a way that's political and designed to hurt Rauner in his reelection bid.
2: Well, I mean, you know, you would look at Quincy. Most people probably have, you know, a lot of people in the Chicago area have never been there. It's almost 300 miles away from Chicago, mm-hmm. but but it's it's the state's largest veterans home. It's uh, it draws people from around here, and I think what Pritzker is trying to do with this is, you know, in spite of those limitations, it's sort of a "not in my backyard" mentality. With Quincy being so far away, he's trying to use this as an example to show how, how Rouner has been kind of asleep at the switch. His administration has been slow to react to problems. He calls it fatal mismanagement. And and so this is a, a, a very powerful narrative that pritzker has been trying to create and what's significant about the you know kind of the political strategy is that there is a debate that's the the third and final debate between rauner and pritzker is scheduled to be next week at quincy and so this is going to be sort of a, a moment of drama in the campaign i think about you know what exactly happens
0: we'll talk about what happened at the most recent debate but first a short break At the ABC7 League of Women Voters debate, Rauner tried to turn the focus away from Quincy and onto a different scandal, this one involving his opponent, Democrat J.B. Pritzker. An investigation by the Cook County inspector general found a, quote, scheme to defraud when in 2015 Pritzker and his wife had all of the toilets removed from a mansion they purchased in the Gold Coast. Rauner asked Pritzker about this during a section of the debate when the candidates asked each other questions.
1: Mr. Pritzker, do you support, do you agree that schemes to defraud taxpayers involving potentially tax fraud, mail fraud and perjury, as the Inspector General has said, do you believe those schemes deserve to be prosecuted? Yes or no and why?
2: Governor Rauner, this was a leaked memo. A leaked memo for political purposes, and your Republican Party is trying to take advantage of that leak. The fact is that we abided by the rules, and <laughs> Come we, on. and and we made
1: sure. You sent the money back because you got caught, Governor rounder you, you, you know, thirty thousand dollars of cheating. Can you let me finish, please? Uh, let me be clear. You can't tell. It is truth. important to recognize
2: that. What I've said all along is true—that we've done a renovation project on a home, we halted it, we restarted it, same and we paid the assessed value. value that was
0: assessed. All right, Dave. Do we just have a couple of uh, rich criminals running for Illinois governor here?
2: You know, if if the only thing you heard were were what the candidates were saying, you would certainly come across thinking that both of them were, you know, ready to go off to San Quentin. Right. Yeah. But the bottom line is this. I mean, the Pritzkers bought the mansion next door to where they live in the Gold Coast. They were in the process of renovating it. And during the time, Pritzker's wife, MK, had the toilets removed. And there's an email that shows this was done just days before they had the property assessed. And by removing the toilets, they were able to argue the property was uninhabitable, which in turn led the assessor to you know dramatically reduce the tax assessment. The Cook County Inspector General, Patrick Blanchard, suggests that this was a, quote, uh, scheme to defraud. And because he says the Pritzkers ultimately and wrongly got $330,000 in tax refunds and savings. Rounder at the debate this week was really trying to get this in front of the voters.
1: This is potentially criminal behavior. This is white collar crime, perjury, tax fraud, mail fraud, potentially white collar crime, hurting hardworking people and retirees in
2: in, in Cook County in the state of Illinois. He won't answer the question because he got caught. So the day after the debate, we found out something new uh, from Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox's office. She's apparently looking into this, sort of maybe. A spokesman for Fox's office says, quote, the matter is in the hands of our special prosecutions unit, but that vague language doesn't really confirm that, that a, a full-bore investigation is underway.
0: Hmm, interesting. So, so Dave, given all of this, how do you think these two issues, the Quincy investigation and the Pritzker's toilet scandal, how are these things going to ev- – How are these things going to affect the results?
2: Well, hard to tell. I mean negatives tamp down voter interest and honestly voters are plenty turned off. Uh, they want more substance. They want. To, they want to know more. They want to like a candidate. This is a situation where they're trying to muddy people up. And for for Rouner, it's a bit more urgent. And the reason for that is that you know ahead of this debate, we saw a uh, the release of a new poll from Southern Illinois University's Paul Simon Public Policy Institute. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. They had uh, Pritzker ahead of Rouner, forty nine percent to twenty seven percent. Oh wow! And you know, you you got to sort of caution against. Uh, making predictions off of one poll. But what's significant, I think, is that this is the third straight poll since August where Pritzker has had a double-digit lead over Rauner. And so I think, you know, Rauner's people are aware that they are sort of playing the role of the underdog, and they're trying to do anything they can to try to narrow this gap.
0: WBEZ's Dave McKinney. Thanks, Dave. Becky, thank you. That's all for this episode of On Background, the WBEZ politics podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe and download in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow all of WBEZ's political coverage at WBEZ.org slash politics and always on air at 91.5 FM.